about my time in um, Nigeria. But before, I, I, I want to talk about a lot of it because we have to focus on this morning's sermon. But I want to give you an update on one thing that I thought was pretty exciting that God did that we can praise him for. Um, we've been trying to buy this oasis house on the property. We own about 580 acres now. And within that 580 acres, there was about three or four acres that a gentleman had purchased years ago. And, um, you know, we had to give him a road access. We wanted him out and he wanted to be out. We weren't rude or anything, but you know, we'd rather not have someone on our property. And uh, he wanted out as well. So he said he'd sell it for 8 million naira, which translated into about 75,000 American dollars at 119 or so to one. Um, by the time I got there this time, the dollar to Naira average had changed from 119 to 173. So if you're doing the math in your head and you're looking at, you know, $40,000 or whatever that we had, um, we saved, we were able to nail down that property while I was there, sign it over, you know, own it. The closing, in a sense, there will be Friday. But we saved between twenty and twenty-five thousand dollars because of the naira difference to the dollar. So you know we've been working really hard to finish off buying this oasis house for these. The kids are um, uh, children affected by AIDS, and we were able to uh, purchase that while I was there. And to see God move in a way that we don't even have to raise. You know, in our economy, it's difficult to raise that kind of money. To see God, God just intervene in the way things worked out, we were able to take forty, I think, forty-six or forty-seven thousand dollars instead of seventy-five thousand dollars, and uh, and purchase this property. So these kids will literally go from living in a hellish environment to a heavenly environment in one of the most beautiful pieces of property I've ever seen in my life, um, and. He said he signs. He we give him the money on Friday, this Friday, and in two weeks he's out, and the kids are in. So that is truly a praise. It really is truly a praise. See God do amazing things. When we talk about a lot of this next week, as I as I weave it into a sermon, next week would be a fantastic opportunity to invite people to church, whether from school or at work or neighborhood friends, whatever. Because I don't, I've never met anyone who doesn't like or doesn't like to see the church uh, invest in the lives of children who are in need and people in need. So great time to invite people next week as an opportunity for an outreach, and we'll go through all the things that God has been doing um, around the world and how we've been expressing the love of Christ uh, on, a global, on a global form. Um, well, welcome to week number four of 40 Days of Love. And as I look around here, you guys look a lot more loving than you did before I left. Um, so it means that John and Chris must have done an excellent job, which I know they have done because I've gotten reports. And it's great. It is so nice to be able to go and then hear the reports of how God is truly moving in the church when I'm able to do something else or go someplace else. So uh, that's really great. And by now you know that life is all about learning how to love. You've been in these small groups. We've been talking about it on Sunday mornings. <clears throat> You've been practicing it at home, reading the book. So by now you understand that life is all about learning how to love. And one of the ways, even if you, whether you like it or not, one of the ways that God teaches us how to love and builds our love is to put people in our lives who are really difficult to love. Okay? You may be thinking, that's not such a great plan because you don't know who I'm around all the time. But you know, God uses those types of people in your life to help you learn how to, de to build a deeper love. This morning, I want to look at four different types of people. 
Okay, four different types of people. We're going to call these people VDP people, very draining people, okay? They're all around us, all right? Very draining people, four different types of people. Number one, you have the difficult people. Number two, you have the demanding people. Number three, you have the disappointing people. And number four, you have the destructive people. Four different types of people. And as I mention these people, you're going to recognize them right away. We all have people like this in our lives. And God is saying to us, God wants us to learn how to love these people as well. He's saying, you know, they're in your life. They need transformation. But as they're going through transformation, you can help in that transforming process by loving the people in your life who are most difficult to love. So let's start with the difficult people. Um, that's an easy one. You know who they are. I, the, the, these people, they're hard to get along with. They're cranky. They're unreasonable, irresponsible. Sometimes they're very immature. Uh, one, of the, one of the priority, one of the, the major characteristics of a difficult person is that they are rude and obnoxious. They are rude and they are obnoxious. And it's difficult to love a rude and obnoxious person. It's not so easy. Now, before I move on and make sure that no one's feeling kind of awkward, I want you, if you would, to, uh, you know, because some people right now, they're starting to get a little paranoid. They're thinking, hmm, maybe he's going to get to me at some point. So I want you to turn to the person next to you and say, and, and say it like this, too. I want you got to muster this up and you got to look at them and say, he couldn't be talking about you. That's how I want to say it. You say it, okay? With that kind of gusto, you know what I mean? Don't be like, he couldn't be talking about you. You know what I mean? So say it. Uh, he couldn't be talking about you. Oh, my goodness, no. <clears throat> Feel a little more relaxed right now that they convince you? <laughs> Hope there was no rolling of the eyes or, you know, the tone was right. Couldn't be talking about you. The second type of person is the demanding person. These are demanding people. We all know what demanding people are like. They have an agenda. They're aggressive. They're very aggressive. They're pushy. They can be manipulative. A demanding person thinks, you know what? It's, it's my way or the highway. They're very self-centered. They're very stubborn. The third type of person is a disappointing person. These people don't always mean to hurt you. Sometimes they're, they're, sometimes they're well-intentioned. Um, they're the kind of people who maybe break promises. And maybe a, you're a parent who really wants to make it to the game or really, you know, you really meant to try to do this, but you, you, you didn't. You broke your promise and you disappointed them. So that's, and sometimes disappointing people are that way. That still frustrates people. And then there's a more serious side to disappointing people. Some disappointing people are disloyal. They're unfaithful. And they cause a lot of pain. The reality is, no matter who you are, how old you are, every single person in your life at some point or another is going to disappoint you. And God is saying, how do you learn to love disappointing people? How do I learn to get along to love and to forgive disappointing people? <clears throat> the most difficult of all are the destructive people. These are people who want to harm you. It is intentional. It is intentional. I, 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 you know, it's sad to say, but there is evil in the world, my friends. There's evil in the world. And there's some people who will harm you on purpose. They're hateful people. They're deceitful people. They calculate what they do, and they do it on purpose. And they're out there. 
They are destructive people. That's the fourth, fourth type of person. So how do we respond to each of these people? I mean, this is one of the most difficult. When we talk about love, you think, oh, love, that's going to be easy to talk about. Man, when you're talking about loving people, it is difficult to love people who are really unlovable sometimes. So how do we do that? One verse in the Bible, actually a chapter that you've been working on in your small groups, 1 Corinthians 13, the love chapter, tells us how. Tells us how we can do it. In verse 5, it says this. It says that love is not rude. It is not self-seeking. It is not easily angered. It keeps no record of wrongs. That tells us the four ways to lo- that, that love deals with these four types of people. It is not rude. It is not self-seeking. It is not easily angered. It keeps no record of wrongs. When you understand these four, you begin to build them into your life and you begin to learn how to love the people around you. You begin to learn to truly love. My friends, the Bible says this, it is easy to love those who love you. But when, it, when the Bible starts talking about loving your enemy, 70 times seven forgiving people, that's when it starts to get a little bit hard. That's when, that's where, that's where, you know, you have to really start depending on the Holy Spirit. You have to know the word of God. You have to start to mature in your faith because loving people like this is extremely difficult. The first type of very draining person, the first person, the first person we have to learn about, we have to learn how to love more is the difficult person, the difficult person. Have you ever noticed there are a lot of difficult people around? There are a lot of rude people around. No matter where you go, they're at home, they're at school, they're at work, they're at restaurants, they're in stores, they're on the freeway. Rude people are everywhere. Now, if you would, in your mind, think about the kind of people who really bug you. What are some things that people do? Think about this. What are some people do that, that they do that really bugs you? Okay? give you a second to think about it. Something that really, really, really bugs me when someone does this. And then I will give you my list, my top 10 rude acts that really bug me, okay? These are Jeff Greer's top 10 rude things that really annoy him, all right? No one can get up. You must sit still. Number 10, people who call you and then say, who is this? You know, they call you and they want to know, who is this? I'm like, whoa, 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 whoa. You called me. You tell me who it is first and then I'll tell you who it is. It's like, it's like do these people really, they ever go to school or some, they need to go to some kind of school that teaches them manners. I mean, who calls and says, who is this? When they call you. That's number 10. So don't do it to me. Number nine, people who talk very loudly on cell phones in public, Okay. Bob, Bob, no, listen, Bob, listen, this is important. You got to close the deal, Bob. You know what I'm talking about here. You know, this is, and it's like, they should have, notice me, notice me. I'm important on their shirt when they're doing this too. Now, Bob, you know, you know I'm the president, blah, blah, and I'm, you tell him that I said, and it's like you're in a rest, small restaurant or you're in the airport and the guy's like talking this loud. Hey, look, everyone, I'm important. I'm making a business deal. Woo-hoo! I, I wish you, when he gets on the phone, we should all just clap. Yay! Did you nail it? Did you tell Bob to nail it? That's number nine. Number eight, people who won't merge. Okay? People who won't merge. I'm sorry. Come on. I want an amen from this one. 
I mean, I come from New York, okay? I would not move back to New York. Ohio's my home. I'm a Buckeye. I love Ohio State. I'm a Bengals fan. The Reds, I'm all about it, okay? I'm here to stay. But we can't merge here. What is wrong with us? In New York, it's like, you go, I go, you go, I go, you go, I go. And you know, New Yorkers are kind of rude. They'll let you know if, you, if two people cut in, it's not happening, okay? They'll literally knock you off the road. But they know how to merge. Here, they do two things. Who was it that laid out 75 or whatever it is where you, your exit's here, you got people coming on, you got to move over, so you got to merge to get off your exit. But you try to merge, and they're like, what are you doing, man? Don't you see my car? You can't merge. I'm like, no, I got to just, I'm going to miss my exit. Can I just squeeze, what, you know, can I just squeeze in there, please? Let me merge. They should have a public service announcement, you know, and they should show people, hey, you merge. Boom, ba-doom, 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 ba-doom. This is merging. No one loses their manhood because you merged in front of them to get off your exit. Merge, man. I'm sorry, it bothers me. It just bothers me. Okay, number seven. It's a little, a little twist on this one. People who cut in line. People cut in line. And, the, and, it's, and it's, the, it's the, see, the same people won't merge, try to merge in line. <whistles> Lines right here, they stand like right next to you. Put their bag down. They don't look at you because they know they're going to try to squeeze in front of you. They're going to pull the old merging thing. And they just kind of stand there, and they kind of move along like, man, I was here, I was here. And they slide in front of you. And you get these pictures in your head. You just kind of grab them by the shirt and throw them at a line. All the things you want to do to the people who cut the line. I love Kings Island. Line jumping is not a sport. It is not a sport. The same people won't merge, try to merge in the line. Stop it. Stop it. No line jumping. That's number seven. Number six. Hospital workers who smoke right outside of the hospital door. There's poor people in wheelchairs with masks on, and they're smoking all around them. You're like, come on, man. Go find another place to smoke except right outside the hospital. That's number six. Number five, people who cheat on the 10 items or less line at the grocery store. I'm like, one, two, three, four, five, nine, 10, 11, 12, 12, there's 12, there's 12 in your basket. Move out of the line. Get on the long line with all the rest of the over 10 people. I have, count them, eight. Can you see? Can you count? Did you pass the second grade? You have 10 or 12. Get out of the line. Move it along, Sparky. Get out of there. Pastor or not, take a hike, buddy. Obey the rules. Darn it. Number four. People who get my last name wrong on junk mail. Don't send me junk mail to start with. But Gineer, Gear, Greyer, and my favorite, Rear, okay? I mean, it's like, dear Mr. Rear, you may have won $10 million. I mean, do they not look at the envelope and say, is this, is his name really rare? I mean, it's, look, can we check on this, okay? Get my name right. And a little, this is 4A, okay? It's not 3, 4A. People who, when they call you, don't know your last name. Well, is Mr. Greyer there? I'm like, always, no, he's not here. Why should I, why should I say yes? It's not, I'm not Mr. Greyer. I know who they're asking for, but I'm not going to tell them. They don't know my name. They're just calling to bug me about something. Number three, 
people who leave church early when I'm making a really great point. I'm like, I'm like sweating and passionate, you know what I mean? And they're like, they like walk out. I'm like, what? Sit back down. This point could change your life. You just hold it, hold it for a little longer. My, my, I'm thirsty too. I'm up here. I'm the one talking. Sit back down. Stop it. Number two, the same as number three. <laughs> That's how much it bugs me. It's twice. And last, number one, people who play the bass so loud in their car, it shakes mine. I'm sitting there minding my own business, right? It's like... <laughs> I'm looking around, I'm like, is there an earthquake? What's going on? No, it's sparky and like three cars up from me. And he's, he's kind of akin to the guy who rolls his windows down and drives past with his music really blaring, thinking, I look so cool. I look so... You don't, okay? You think you look cool, but you don't. Everyone else is saying, this, everyone else, you know, it's one of those things that even if you do it, you think it's cool, but everyone else on the planet doesn't think it's cool, okay? So stop doing it, and do not pull it close to me in a car and drive that base up. You know, that can actually hard boil an egg. If you had an egg in your car, that can hard boil an egg. It can't be good for your brain, okay? It cannot be good for me. Stay away from me. There's a couple more, but we'll just move along. I'm not a hard person to get along with. Just, you know, don't walk out of church. Keep your base away from me. Get my name right. Don't cheat online. Don't, you know, I'm, and I'm good. Okay, how do you respond to these kind of people? How do you respond to difficult people? That's the question. How do we do that? The Bible says love is not rude. It is not rude. So we need, we must be tactful and not just truthful. Love is not rude. We need to be tactful and not just truthful. It's important. In other words, you don't return someone's rudeness, okay? You don't return their rudeness. You're not rude back. If someone's rude to you, don't respond by being rude in return. That's not what God wants us to do. You overcome evil, the Bible says, with good. If someone's being, if someone's being bad to you, if someone's doing something evil to you, you don't return evil for evil. You return evil with good. That's what the Bible says. You need to be tactful as well as truthful. Proverbs 15.1 says, A gentle answer turns away wrath. Every time, my friends, every time I've ever done this, a gentle answer, if someone's coming at you and you have a gentle answer, it always, in my experience, has turned away wrath. If you raise to their level, it turns into a major confrontation where no one's listening. But if they're up here and you remain calm and you give them a gentle answer, it turns away their wrath. One of the ways you can be tactful is simply to listen to the other person first. If they're coming at you this way, difficult people, you listen to the other person first. They may have a point. Just because they're saying it the wrong way doesn't mean that they don't have a point. You may be able to glean something from what they're saying. So you need to be tactful. You need to listen first. If you listen to people sympathetically and you respond tactfully, that is the way you lovingly respond to difficult people. Listen sympathetically and respond tactfully. 
And that will help you to deal with difficult people. Proverbs 18, 13 says, He who answers before listening, that is his folly and his shame. Love listens, it does not jump to conclusions, and it responds with tact. That is how we deal with difficult people. Now, the way you say something often determines how people are going to receive it. If you say it, listen to this, if you say it offensively, they're going to receive it defensively. Easy to remember. If you say something offensively, they're going to receive it defensively. As soon as someone goes on the attack, you put up the wall. You put up that boundary. You get defensive. And once you get defensive, you can't hear what the other person is saying. You need to remember that tact and tone go together. It's the way you say it. It's your tone of voice. If you're interacting with people, you have to watch your tone of voice. If someone says to you in your house, could you do the dishes? There's, you can say the same thing with a different tone and attitude, and it means two different things. You can say, sure, I can do the dishes, no problem. And you go and do the dishes. Or you can say, oh, sure, sure, I'll do the dishes, I'll do the dishes. Fine, okay. There's a difference, isn't there? Right? Tone of voice, no tact. And how does the other person respond? They're going to receive that in a defensive way. Tone of voice. Tact and tone of voice, they go together. Now, the second type of person that we're going to have to deal with is the demanding person, demanding people. Demanding people are the kind of people who always want to get their way. There's always a right way and a wrong way for demanding people. Their way is always the right way, and your way is always the wrong way. So they got it all down. They are the it's my way or the highway kind of people. So then how do we deal with them? The Bible says love is not self-seeking, okay? So I need to be understanding and not demanding. I need to be understanding and not demanding. Jesus is the best example of this. If you can, if you can memorize this passage of Scripture, if you can get this Scripture right here in Philippians chapter 2, if you have a Bible, you might want to flip to it. Philippians chapter 2, I'm going to read verses 3 through 8. If you can get this down, your relationships will be transformed. You will be transformed. You have a lot less difficulty dealing with other people. In Philippians chapter 2, verses 3 through 8, it says this, Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, but in humility consider others better than yourselves. Each of you should not only look to your own interests, but also the interests of others. Your attitude should be the same as that of Christ Jesus, who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, but made himself nothing, taking on the very nature of a servant, and being made in human likeness, and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to death, even death on a cross. Jesus Christ says that we should put other people above ourselves. Consider them better than yourselves. Don't only look to your own interests. Look to the interests of others. Put them first. Love means putting the other person first, even if they don't deserve it. That's what love is all about. It is easy to love the people who love you. It is difficult. Jesus Christ was God. He could do anything he wanted to do. Who being in very nature God did not consider equality with God something to be grasped but made himself nothing taking on the very nature of a servant. He became a servant. The one who was above all was the one who came to serve all. 
Now, does it mean you show love to the person working in the store or working in the restaurant who's not treating you very well? It certainly does. It certainly does. You know, whenever we find ourselves in a situation where this type of person uh, is around, we need to be understanding and not demanding. And this, what I'm going to talk about for, for the next few minutes here, it goes with all of these people, okay? To be understanding, not demanding. If you go out to lunch this afternoon, or if you go to the store this afternoon, and there's a person that you deal with that comes in, into your life who is being pretty rude, and they're being really difficult, you need to be understanding and not demanding. You need to realize something. You need to realize that, that clerk or that, re- that waitress or waiter may have had one of the worst days of their entire life. They may have just gotten chewed out by their boss. They may have just found out something really difficult in their lives. And now they're coming. You're the first person they see. And you're thinking your first reaction, and so is mine sometimes. We don't think about it. It's just how rude. How dare they rude to me? course because i'm here and they're here now if you read philippians chapter 2 again they're here and you're here you have to see things from a different perspective the bible tells us that patience comes from perspective you are more patient when you have a better perspective we need to understand the three b's the three b's a person's background a person's battles and a person's burdens a person's background, their battles, and their burdens. Before you launch out into some aggressive response, you need to understand what is this person's background? What battles are they facing right now? What burdens are they carrying around in their hearts? You've got to ask those questions. Because when you ask those questions, you become a lot more passionate and a lot more loving in response to that person. So the first one is, what is, their, what is their background? Maybe the person was raised in a home where they didn't get any kind of love and affection. Really. Just because you grew up in a home where you know, your parents are affectionate to you doesn't mean everyone did. Some people, I mean, I, I've, I have relatives who told me that their mom didn't say I love you until like 50-something years old. Never said I love you to their own children. So what kind of background do they come from? You know, maybe, maybe they have real difficulty. Maybe they, maybe they come from a dysfunctional home or whatever the case may be. They never learned how to show that kind of affection and be the kind of person that God wants them to be. Uh, look at their burdens. What are the problems they're carrying around? What are the difficulties they're facing? What's going, what are they going through? You know, they, they, they could be battling through a past issue. What are their battles? They could battle through some, they could be battling right now through some past issues that went on in their dysfunctional family where they had no affection and now they're battling through how do I become a stronger person? How can I overcome my past? And you happen to be in the way when they're going through that battle. So what's their background? What are their burdens? And what battles do they face? In Proverbs 19.11, it says, A man's wisdom gives him patience. It is to his glory to overlook an offense. Do you overlook offenses? Do we? I mean, you know, on Sunday, right now, you're probably thinking, you know, sometimes I don't. And you learn that. You, we leave here, and all of a sudden, we just go back into our human mindsets. And the first person who cuts us off or doesn't let us merge or, you know, plays the music too loud in the car, it's like, blah, 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 blah. You know, we don't, we don't allow for people. We don't think through why they're acting or why they're doing what they're doing. 
You ever, you ever think of why someone, I'm just off the cuff here, you ever think of why maybe someone does do some of those things and they're, they're waving a flag and saying, please, someone notice me? Notice me. I see that hand. Notice me, right? There's a reason for that. So we have to show, we have to be compassionate, we have to be loving. Some of you might be thinking, you know, what am I, I hear you, Pastor. You know, Pastor Jeff, I, I can hear you, but what am I supposed to do? I live with these people. I deal with these people every day. What am I supposed to let them push me around? Do I act like a doormat? That's what I don't like about Christianity. You're telling me to act like a doormat. You're letting people, you want people to walk all over me. You don't want me to be strong. You think I should just cave in and give these people whatever they want because they had some way west story. They should just tell it to Oprah. That's what you're thinking. No, I'm not saying that at all. I am not saying that at all. Here's the key. Here's the key. Get your pen and write this one down. You need to be tender without surrender. You need to be tender without surrender. Don't let people push you around. Don't let people walk all over you. If we are following the example of Jesus Christ, Jesus Christ never, never caved in to their manipulative behavior or their sinful behavior. Jesus would confront. Jesus spoke the truth in right. Jesus spoke the truth in love. He didn't get walked over. No one got away with anything. He was tender without surrender. That's what we call love in action. Be tender without surrender. Do not walk out of here saying, I said that you had to put up with someone abusing you or, or harming you or just you know, verbally, whatever. That's not what I'm saying. That's not what I'm saying. I'm saying being tender without surrender. Speak the truth in love. Put the other, and you will, do, you will be tender without surrender and you'll, you will speak the truth in love if when you're talking to the other person, you put the other person before yourself. And you're thinking, how do I help this person become less like this? You know, if you're a decent parent, honestly, if you're a good parent, you know what you tell your children? Some parents see their children like rosy-colored glasses. That's a mistake. If your child is exhibiting some kind of bad behavior when it comes to their social skills, you need to say that to them. You know, why do you think all these people get on American Idol in the very beginning and sing? And then cry afterwards. Well, my mom said I was a great singer and everyone around me said I could sing. They lied to you. Honestly, they lied. Well, how do I, do, how do I sound? Oh, sweetheart, you sound so good. You know what a good parent says? That's just, that's probably not your gift, sweetie. I mean, you, I like hearing you sing. But, you know, and you say it tactfully and lovingly, whatever, but you don't let people get up on stage, okay, and think that they can sing when they can't because the rest of the world's not that nice, okay, and they're going to destroy your child. If your child's obnoxious in some way, you say to your child, you know, if you continue to exhibit that behavior outside of the home, you will lose friends. People may not like you. And you say, oh, that's mean. That's not mean. That's the truth. And who's, who's going to tell them if not for you? You're going to wait till they get out and exhibit that behavior outside and have someone really crush their spirit when you can lovingly sit them down and say, this behavior in our, is unacceptable and you're going to have to learn not to act this way in order for you to get along with your husband or your wife or all the people around you. That's just love. It's not mean. See, some people are getting nervous. That's kind of, it's not mean. That's the right thing to do. That's the right and loving thing to do as a parent, to encourage your child when you see this type of behavior. The third type of person 
that we have to deal with is the disappointing person. The reality is there's a, there, there's a lot of disappointment in life. And if you're whatever age, there's every person in your life at one point or another is going to disappoint you. If you've known me for more than a couple of months, I've probably disappointed you. Now, disappointing people don't always mean to do that. They don't mean to hurt you, but we all do it. We all disappoint each other because of our behavior sometimes. So how do you deal with disappointing people? Well, the Bible says that love is also not easily angered, okay? So we want to be gentle, not judgmental. We want to be gentle, not judgmental. So how does the Bible tell us to be gentle and not judgmental? In Galatians chapter 6 and verse 1, I read, it, t- it says this, and I want you to listen. I want, you, I want to pick out two words, okay, that our culture is anti-culture. Number one, brothers, if someone is caught in sin, everybody know what sin is? If you don't know what sin is, raise your hand. Okay, we all know what it is. You know what it is. If you don't, sin. If a person is caught in sin, you who are spiritual should restore them gently. Okay? If they're caught in a sin, you restore them gently. It doesn't matter if you're right, my friends. It doesn't matter if you're right. If you're rude when you talk to people, if you're aggressive and rude, they are going to shut you off. They're going to shut you out. They're not going to listen or care what you have to say. They're immediately going to get defensive. And once someone gets defensive, they don't listen anymore. So you need to be gentle in the way, gentle and loving in the way that you present yourself to them. If someone's doing something wrong, you need to be gentle, not judgmental. Notice what notice in uh, Colossians 3.13 what it says here. It says, bear with each other and forgive whatever grievances you may have against one another. Forgive as the Lord forgave you. Notice it says, whatever grievances you have against one another. It, 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 it can't be, you can't be selective here. The Bible is pretty overarching. Whatever grievances you have, forgive whatever grievances. Whatever means whatever. So whatever grievances you have, you need to forgive. Romans 14, 12 and 13 says this. So then each of us will give an account of himself to God. Therefore, let us stop passing judgment on one another. Now, this is important. This is so important. This is, this is Christianity as opposed to the, the secular culture, Okay. It's important to understand the difference between using your judgment and being judgmental. There's a difference. I don't know how many times I've watched people in relationships. Their relationships are being destroyed. They're falling apart. They're allowing things to go on that are just totally unacceptable. And when you talk to them, they come along and they give a basic, a basic cultural, worldly cultural answer. I don't want to be judgmental. So I'll let, I just let it, whatever goes on and around, I'll let it because I don't want to be judgmental because of course in our culture you can't be judgmental because they'll string you up and they'll call you names and they'll, they'll belittle you so you don't want to be judgmental. There's a difference between using your judgment and being judgmental. There is a stark difference. You've got to use your judgment so you can see if something is going wrong in your relationship. You've got to be able to use your judgment. 
Or how else are you going to see what's going on? There's nothing wrong with doing that. There's nothing wrong with using your judgment. The Bible tells you to use your judgment. You've got to be able to decide between right and wrong if you're going to understand the truth. And at the end of the day, it doesn't matter what culture says. All that matters is what's true. And if you don't use your judgment between right and wrong, you'll never figure out what truth is. That's all that matters. What is truth? But truth, my friends, is not judgmental. Truth is not judgmental unless you take it and you pound someone over the head with it or you're extremely rude to them in giving them the truth. And then again, they just basically shut down. It's only judgmental when you use it in a rude way. When you start determining, listen, when you start determining what the person's sentence is, when you become the judge... I can use my judgment without becoming a judge. If you come along and use scripture like, oh, judge not, lest you be judged, and you apply that out of context to every area of life, you're a hypocrite. And the people who tell you you need to do that are hypocrites. They're hypocrites. If someone right now gets up and goes to the bathroom, okay, and they, they, they really have to go, you can do, they've been scrumming all service, they start to move, and I say, wait, 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 what are you doing? Right? I stopped my sermon. Where are you going? I'm, going? I'm going to the bathroom. I really, Pastor, I really need to go. No, you need to go. Why didn't you go beforehand? Are you not smart enough to realize that it's going to be a little service? I may go a little long and you have to go to the bathroom and you're not an adult? How old are you? I mean, you're disrupting the entire service. I'll tell you what. If you continue the aisle to the bathroom, just keep on going out the front door because I don't want you here at Grace Chapel anymore. Beat it, buddy. Go play your loud, you know, put your bass on and get lost. You know what I mean? Cut lines. Do what you want to do, but you're not walking out of service. Not one person here would say, well, you know, he, he was squirming in front of me. He was annoying. So I think Pastor Jeff is completely right in what he said. You know, if people like that can't hold it, they should go. They should leave. That's our motto. You got to hold it at Grace Chapel. That's what you have on the doors. Hold it or beat it, one or the other. That's it. You don't walk out of here. I personally don't care if you guys get up and get drinks of water and go to the bathroom. You're all paranoid now. No one And this service, no one is moved, okay? Everyone's like, I'm so thirsty. Oh, man, I'm just hot and thirsty. I got to go. If you got to go, go, okay? It doesn't bother me. Baby cries a little bit. It doesn't bother me, all right? But if I did that, every single one of you would pass, you would use your judgment and you would say, that behavior by our pastor, was wrong. Wrong. Okay? Now, are you my judge? You, you sentence me before God? No, you don't. But you use your judgment. Don't let the culture ever get you into this thing where you can't use your judgment to say, this is right and this is wrong. It's a slow, creeping thing. And we, none of us want to be a judge. None of us want to be judgmental. None of us want to judge that baloney, my friends. We're going to get into that this summer a whole lot. Um, that's not right. That is not right. You can, be, you, you, can be, you can use your judgment without becoming a judge. All right, fourth type of person we need to deal with is destructive people. These are destructive people. This is the hardest one of all. These are people who intentionally, purposefully want to hurt you. They're mean. They're hateful. They're manipulative. They do it on purpose. They calculate it. There are people sitting here today, you are so nice and so sweet that you don't believe these people exist. You give them like, oh, that's because... 
There are some people, my friends, for whatever reason, they are just hateful. They're, they're, they are mean-spirited, and they do things on purpose. And a lot of you have dealt with people who just do things to you on purpose for no good reason, but they just don't like you or something. They've got this in their mind, and so they calculate ways to harm you. When people hurt us, we have two natural tendencies. These are the human tendencies. Number one, I remember it. And number two, I retaliate. I remember it, and I retaliate. Those are the two things that we do naturally. And Jesus is saying, no, you can't do that. First, we remember it. We keep a record of the wrong. We keep a record in our minds. We put it back in our database and we say, I'm never going to forget this. I am not letting this person off the hook. I am not letting go of this one. Uh, And you rehearse it. You rehearse it over and over and over and over in your mind. You rehearse it. There are people in your life who have written you things, okay? And you still have it. And you read it over sometimes. And it keeps it alive. You rehearse it in your mind. You think, one day, one day I'm going to get an opportunity to retaliate. One day I'm going to get back at that person. The second thing we, we do is we think about how we're going to retaliate. We're going to get even. But the Bible says love keeps no record of wrongs. Love keeps no record of wrongs. So what does that mean? How do I respond to people who hurt me in my life? How do I, how do I get along? How do I, what do I do? Well, you don't repeat it. You delete it. Okay? You don't repeat it. You delete it. You forgive and you move on with your life. Some of you are thinking, this is where people really get worked up in church, okay? Because they're thinking, no way, no way. Because you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to hang on to that bitterness. I'm going to hang on to that revenge. I'm going to hang on to what that person did that to me. I'm not going to let them off the hook. I'm going to be this way for the rest of my life. You know what the other person's doing while you're being like this? (laughs) I hurt you. I hurt you. I really don't care. They don't, you know what I'm saying? They don't care. They don't care. You're bitter. You're, you're stress level. You go to your doctor, and a doctor's like, man, you're, you're, you know, you're this and that. And you're like, oh. And you're saying, I'm not going to. If I let it go, if I let it go, if I let it go. If you let it go, you're free. They're already free. Wouldn't it be great if you could be like, I pass my bitterness on to you, and you feel it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know what I mean? You know, anger, grief, misery on you. They live in another state. Some of them you're bitter about, they're dead. No, really. You're still hanging on this unforgiveness and they're past. Seriously, who does, who does this hurt? Who does that behavior hurt? The other person? You. That's who it hurts. You. You've got to let it go. You've got to forgive and move on with your life. It doesn't hurt the other person. Don't repeat it. Don't repeat it. What does that mean? Well, typically when we get hurt, we repeat things in three ways. We repeat it emotionally in our minds. We repeat it relationally with, as a weapon. And we repeat it um, uh, verbally and practically to other people. So the first thing we do is we repeat it emotionally in our minds. We go over it and over it and over it and over it in our minds. We repeat it in our minds. We hold on to the grudge. We hold on to that grudge in our lives, and we only hurt ourselves. The second thing we we repeat it is in fights. 
Now, I've never actually experienced this myself or never really heard of anyone at Grace Chapel experience this, but this is what I've heard. I've heard that people actually bring other issues up when they're fighting with their spouses. That's not that shocking. Are you shocked? I'm, it's amazing. You think, wow, I mean, you should write that down because it's something you can tell your friends and they've never heard it either. But they do that relation. They use it as a weapon. You're getting into a minor fight, okay? And you've been waiting for a month or more to, you know, and you bring it, you pull it back out as a weapon. Well, the reason I said that is because two weeks ago or a month and a half ago, you said this. And the person says, well, I said that because a year ago you said this. Well, in the beginning of our marriage, the honeymoon night, you said this and that and the other thing. They bring it all back up as a weapon. Not a good idea. Not a good idea. A little discussion turns into a two-day confrontation. You let it pile up and you bring it up again. You, can you know why you bring it up? Because you haven't forgiven. You haven't let it go. We use it as a weapon. The third way we repeat it is we repeat it to other people. What is that called? Gossip. That's all it is. We don't repeat it. We don't talk about it with God. We don't talk about it with the person that needs to hear it. We talk about it with everyone in earshot who's going to hear us. My humble opinion is the reason that people do that is they want someone to go back to the person who hurt them and tell them what they did and talk about it with them. They don't want to go to the person themselves. My friends, if you just tell other people what happened, hoping that it'll get back to the person who hurt you, that is not reconciliation. That is not forgiveness. That doesn't resolve anything. It only makes you a gossip, and the person who hears about it thinks you're talking about them. Now they're even more angry. If they get an opportunity, they're going to do something worse to you. It doesn't work. You go directly to that person. You go to God, and you pray about it. You put the other person before yourself. You sit down, and you say something like, when you did that, it hurt my feelings. Not you are this or you're that, but when what you did hurt me. I received it this way. Well, I didn't mean to do that. I know, blah, blah. And you have a conversation and you resolve it. So you, you don't talk to everybody else. You talk to that person. All three of those, all three of those are destructive. They are, they're, they're damaging and they're self-defeating. All three. All three. Don't repeat it. Delete it. Love keeps no record of wrongs. Now, some of you are thinking, you know, it's been too long. It's been years. It's been decades and I just, I just, I, I, it's just too late for me. No, it is not. Can God bring beauty out of the ashes? Absolutely. Can God restore those broken relationships? Can God restore what went on in your life through that alcoholism of that other person? Can God relieve that grief? Can God relieve that, 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 that shame in your life? Can God relieve? Can God do all those things? Can God restore that broken, that broken hopeless relationship? Can God do all those things? He can absolutely do them. He can do them. God can bring about healing from betrayal and unfaithfulness, God can bring about that healing. Even, even if the other person doesn't change, even if the other person doesn't change, you can still have freedom as long as you're changing your heart, as long as you're forgiving and letting it go. It isn't really, think about this, it isn't really dependent on what the other person does or does not do. It's dependent on you and God. If you forgive them, you are set free. They are still in bondage. You are set free. And I'm telling you, a perfect example of that is people who are still angry at people, their parents who are long past. 
You need to let it go. That person doesn't have to change in order for you to forgive and to be set free from the bondage that you're in right now. Forgiveness, this is another thing people come and talk to me all about the time. I can't forget. I can't forget. I know, either can I. Forgiveness is not forgetting. Forgiveness is letting go. We're human beings. If someone did something to you, it's hard to forget. But you can let it go. It's a process. It's a process of letting go and living your life without that bitterness and that anger and all those things. Proverbs 10, 12 says this, Hatred stirs up dissension, but love covers over all wrongs. Which of the all have you not let go of? Love covers over all wrongs. Which of the all have you not let go of? Which of the offenses in your life are you still holding on to? That's really hard, isn't it? We all have them. We all, we all have them. What are they? Maybe as a child, you were hurt by an adult. Maybe it was a teacher. Maybe it was an uncle. Maybe it was your parents. You were hurt by them. And, and, it, and, and it, 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 it sticks with you. The Bible says that there's severe punishment for child abuse, for child abandonment, for child neglect. One day, God is going to even that score. God is going to do it. God, God, does not re, God responds very aggressively to that kind of behavior. One day, here or there, God is going to respond and settle that score. When God says, honor your mother and your father, he's not saying, honor their sin. You know, we say, honor my mother and father. I can't say anything. You know what? He doesn't say, honor their sin. He doesn't say that we have to honor their abuse. He doesn't say we have to honor their, their bad choices, their bad decisions. He doesn't say we have to honor their foolishness, their selfishness. He's not saying that we should ignore the pain in our lives, that we should paint a happy smile on our faces and pretend any, nothing ever happened, just pretend everything is great. That is not what God is saying. He doesn't want you to ignore it. He doesn't want you to fake it or, or, or suppress it. He doesn't want any of, the, of those things. That's not what God is asking us, asking us to do. He doesn't want to allow, he wasn't telling you right now to, to, to make excuses for the people in your life who caused you the pain in the first place. God's not asking you to make excuses or to be a fake or to put a mask on or to suppress it or anything else. God wants you to face it because until you face it, you can't forgive it. So God's not asking for any of those things. God is saying, face it, deal with it. I'll deal with it you. Then you need to forgive. Face it and forgive it. You need to understand, my friends, that if you and I Continue down the road that we're going. If we have these types of behaviors, if we're holding on to bitterness, if we won't forgive, it's only going to destroy our lives. It's the most frustrating thing in life. But your, your extreme anger and frustration and unforgiveness does not affect the other person. It only affects you. And here's the sad thing. Those same behavioral patterns in your life, I, I, you're not going to like me at all, but... <laughs> Those same behavioral patterns that you're exhibiting because of that, what happened to you, you pass on to the next generation. If it's fear, you pass it on. If it's bitterness, you pass it on. If it's shame, you pass it on. If it's anger, you pass it on. If it's an unforgiving spirit, you pass it on. Your children learn those traits from you and you pass on to the next generation. So not only does that person have an effect on your life, they have an effect on the next generation, which probably ticks you off even more. What I'm telling you is the way you overcome that is that you forgive and you let it go. You let it go and you teach your children how to do that. And so instead of passing on negative traits to your children, it's not your fault. But now that you understand, we need to deal with it. Don't pass those on to your children. 
I want you to bow your heads with me. Bow your heads with me as we close. 1 Corinthians 13, 5 says, Love doesn't keep a record of wrongs. Now, I don't know who you need to forgive. I don't know who it is in your life. I don't. But what I do know is today is the day you need to forgive them. I mean, I told you in the very beginning, the first sermon we talked about, this is not going to be easy. We talk about love. Yay, love. It's just not going to be easy. And today I'm asking you who it is that you need to forgive. Don't listen to the evil one telling you if you let go of this, you're going to let them off the hook and they're going to get away with something. That is not true. God is going to judge. He is the judge. When you forgive, you're setting yourself free. It's, all, it's about setting yourself free. Who is it that you need to set free? Who is it that you need to forgive? I'm not sure who it is in your life, but I know it today is the day you need to do it. As we close, I want you to think of the person who, who's hurt you in your life. And I want you to let them off the hook. Love lets it go. Love forgives because the person deserves it. Absolutely not. They don't deserve it. But because God calls us to do it, God says it's the right thing to do for yourself and for all those around you. And my friends, listen to this. It is the only way that you are going to be set free. I'm not trying to let anybody off the hook. I'm not trying to say what they did was right. In any, from the worst of circumstances to just someone being rude to you. But whatever it is, you need to let it go for yourself, for yourself, for your family, for your own physical, emotional, and spiritual health. You need to let it go for yourself. Forgiveness, listen to this, forgiveness does not mean that I continue to give the other person an opportunity to hurt me. It doesn't mean you give them an opportunity to hurt you. I'm not saying you forgive and stay in a situation where someone is hurting you. You need to get, you, you can, I can forgive and not stay in an abusive relationship. I can forgive and still, listen, I can forgive and still set boundaries in my relationships. I can forgive and still confront sin in my relationships. But we need to forgive so we can be set free. This day, today, sometime today, I want you to sit down with God and I want you to talk to God and I want you to forgive the person who has that ball and chain around your leg with their name on it. Set it free, let it go, move on with your life. It's only hurting you. Father, give us the strength to do it. Give us the power to do it. Give us the love beyond what we're capable of loving the way we are capable of loving as human beings. Give us your Holy Spirit's love. Give us the love that comes through a relationship with Jesus Christ, that we can forgive these people, Lord God, and we can move on to become the people you've created us to be. And Father, we'll give you all the praise and glory for it in Jesus' precious and holy name. Amen. I know I probably went a little long, but I thank you.